it's insidious. If it started out the way it ends up, no one would ever end up that way, right? It's slow. Your isolation is, um, and, and isolation's not even the first step. It's, it's manipulation. Welcome to She Leads, a podcast about leadership, faith, and relationships. My name's Thea, and I'm your host, and I'm so glad that you tuned in. Thank you so much for your support. You're continuing to listen, share, like, subscribe, follow. All those things really matter. And again, I want to say thank you to that. I also just been reflecting how amazing it is that I've been able to bring in so many strong, empowering women that not only are a part of my life, but in my uh, my realm. And I'm just so excited to continue to share these conversations with you. I do want to invite you to visit the She Leads website where you can find fun merchandise like a shirt like this or coffee mugs. You can also learn more about the She Leads story and find ways for you to support Thank you again for being willing to be on this journey with me. I also want to invite you to continue to send your comments, feedback, questions to sheleadscomments at gmail.com. My hope is that this truly turns into a community and a conversation, so I welcome your thoughts. Today, I am really uh, just honored that I get to welcome Whitney Reeves to the podcast today. Uh, Whitney and I used to work together, but I'm going to let you introduce yourself, uh, your current leadership roles, and then why did you say yes? Uh, my name is Whitney Reeves. I'm the Director of Operations at Chapelwood United Methodist Church in Lake Jackson. There are two Chapelwoods. Um, why? And we know each other from working, of course, at Chapelwood uh, Lake Jackson. You were our associate pastor for one year. And then why I said yes, um, I'm a listener, I'm a fan, and I think that what you're doing is important to bring in women in leadership and show what they're doing to make a difference in their communities, um, in their families and their workplaces. So that's, that was my reason for saying yeah. yes. Well, thank you again. It really, it really means a lot to me knowing you and your personality and your story that you're willing to share today that you were uh, willing to say yes to this little thing that God is leading. So let's jump into it today. We're going to talk about uh, trauma and overcoming some traumatic experiences. But first, I want to talk about um, what did you study in college and kind of what led you to that? What was your major? Uh, my undergrad degree was in psychology, and that led me to a master's of science in clinical psychology, um, also called applied psychology, which is abnormal behavior um, and psychological testing. So kind of those two, um, those two aspects of psychology. And my master's thesis was in domestic violence. So I spent uh, two years at a shelter for battered women in Mobile, Alabama. That's where I lived. And I interviewed 113 women uh, who, had, who had come into the shelter. So every week, every Wednesday night, I went and interviewed everybody who had come in the week before who was willing to talk to me. Of course, not everyone was. And I had a 14-page questionnaire, and I asked them um, all kinds of questions. And what I was looking for was predictors um, of women who would return to the abusive relationship because the most dangerous time for a woman who is in an abusive relationship is when she makes the choice to leave. Mm -hmm. And so... When you leave and go and you come back, when you leave and come back over and over, uh, you're at 75% higher risk 
of death each time you leave versus just a regular day with your abuser. And so these women uh, get in the cycle of violence and over and over, um, some of them have left. I think the average is, I don't know, my numbers are off because this is old research, at least seven times these people leave. And to try to find, is there some kind of demographic? Uh, is it the number of children that you have in the home? Is it your education level? Is it whether you're employed? Is it uh, anything, right? Um, and so that was what I spent two years studying in grad school. Mm. And if you, if if this is the point to talk about it, what I found was uh, there is no predictor. There's no good predictor. You can't go, well, if women have been to college, they're more likely to break the cycle. Or if women don't have any children in the home, uh, they're the biggest predictor of whether a woman will return is whether she's left before. So if you can leave once and break that pattern right away, uh, you're in better shape than if you've if you return once, you're at a higher risk of returning again. Wow. Um, I'm so, it's just, it's, it's heartbreaking to hear those statistics um, as a woman who has also survived and, and, and did finally break the cycle. Um, I know for me, it took four, um, four actual leaves, you know, lots of plans. Mm-hmm before that, but what was it like for you to, to deal with that such heavy conversation and even that the findings of the only predictors, if you can just get it done in the first time, like, what was that like to receive that and discover that? Uh, You know, so I had a major professor who was already researching intimate partner violence. I mean, it's a master's program. You don't have a lot of time to create new research uh, with funding out of nowhere. So what we, you know, I've, I do piggyback on some things that were already going on. And she was very interested in it as well. And, and she had studied intimate partner violence for years. And she was just as suppressed as I was. What the research was lacking was what most studies of battered women are done after the fact. So you're self-reporting from your memory after you've broken the cycle. Or you are um, you're answering phone surveys or probably internet surveys now. You have no idea who's answering the question. Uh, you have no idea if they're being coerced to answer a certain way. What I wanted to do was these are women who have just left. And this is everybody because if you can't if you can't talk to the people who go back, you're only getting the people who get out. Mm. So this is this is right away within the first week. You're talking to them right away, and and it's um, with you know knowing you're not going to be able to follow up on everybody, of course, because for some people they're going to leave. Uh, some of them would come in and out before I could even get there the next week, or some Mm -hmm. of them would take off without shelter staff knowing where they were going. So I think um, for her and for my professor and for me, the uh, biggest thing was that it could happen to anybody. Yeah. And what do you think it is that led you to this desire to, to research this? Um, What, what led you to this study? Um, As I said before, um, some of the research was ongoing, and to me it was just interesting, right? If you're going, women are in more danger when they leave, uh, and lots of women leave lots of times. That's in all the literature. Uh, what can you do if you could intervene at the intake? If you could, if shelter staff could target these women when they come in the door, right? Who's at higher risk to, to, to not let them go right back? Um, if you could find that thing, then, then you could – 
you could help you could help keep um mm. you could help save lives mm. for some of these people are uh, they, are, they that's when they're more likely to be killed so yeah do you think there was any personal experience or reason that led you to that uh, desire? No, but I did have personal things going on at the same time. But uh, the research actually started before the uh, abusive relationship. So it's relationship. So it seems that uh, you would know if you're studying battered women every single week um, in in the worst possible situation they could be in, right? A lot of them have left with maybe they had shoes on. Right. Maybe they had the clothes on their back and maybe they had their kids. Maybe. Right. <clears throat> to seek safety. Um, you'd think that seeing that would give you some great self-awareness. It, it did not. As I'm starting this research, I'm also I've also found myself in a um, in an abusive relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was have been my first year of grad school. This relationship went on for an entire year and I really didn't see the signs of what was happening until until it blew up um you know almost a year later uh, <clears throat> so uh not having not having the ability to recognize it in yourself is it's interesting right that that would that you wouldn't notice it you're in the middle every single week I'm talking to women who have escaped with nothing and then would go home to the abusive, to the abuser. That's so powerful. And I'm, I'm sure that was, you know, hard for you to, to deal with and even to finally recognize. Um, it also is, I I also find some grace in that. And I, I hope you would too. And any other woman that's experienced this, because I know from my experience should have known better. Should have known better. Right? Yes. Um, it's something we tell ourselves, um, whether it's something we had experienced before, we read about it, we were actively studying. We tell ourselves we should have known better. And yet there's still this, I mean, just corruption, right? This abuse, this... Um, lack of actual love that can seep in and mask itself in such a way that we're, you know, clueless or blind or, or even just denying. Um, Oh, there's denial. Yeah. Yeah. There's denial for sure. Um, And it's insidious. If it started out the way it ends up, no one would, ever end up that way right it's slow your isolation is um and and isolation's not even the first step it's it's manipulation control um or is it okay for you to wear that uh is it okay for you to hang around this person maybe you um shouldn't be doing something that you're doing or acting like such a jerk in a social social situation that no one wants to spend any time with you. And after a while, you're, you, you make excuses in the beginning. Well, he's just tired or he's just had a bad day. And after a while, it's, um, it's just a, it's a tool for isolation. Before you know it, you're not spending time with anybody else. And then that's when real control starts. 
it's, but it's slow. Yeah. You know, it's just easier to stay home. It's easier not to try to go be social because he gets angry and he's rude to my friends and yeah, that's it's so crazy you brought that up about or the abuser can just act like a total jerk that you willingly, you know, you make the choice. Ah, we're just not going to be around people. That was exactly what was running through my head of that it's, you know, you embarrass me so much that I'm not going to now I don't want to be around these people mm-hmm. even by myself. Right? Because they know. Oh, they'll or what are they thinking? What will yeah. they say the next time you're not with me and yeah. yeah. And definitely it's that manipulation and control that um, what my experience was, was just had me really gripped. You know, I knew the physical was wrong. I knew the cussing and the spitting and the, I knew all of that was wrong, but it was that manipulative control and cutting Mm -hmm. out. You know, I remember multiple years after my relationship ended, my best friend would call who was my best friend through it all. And I would go, ugh. And I finally realized, wait, what am I doing? I love her. I love spending time with her. I'm so glad she's calling me. We have the opportunity to connect. And I was able to have a flashback of that's what he did. And just that subtle sigh Mm -hmm. made me not want to talk to her. Made me not want to cause a fight. Made me not want to, you know, engage in this, actual loving and real relationship all he had to do was sigh it's like whoa that is yeah I remember a really bad fight um just couldn't manipulate could whatever and then a very expensive apology present I remember thinking I would just rather not have been screamed at I don't need nice shoes or whatever I just it doesn't why is it like this? Yeah. Right. That's, that's later on, but, but that's mm. what, that's what it was like. That's what it was always like. That's what it was like for a year. And because he had isolated me from friends and he tried from my family, they're good. Um, and they didn't really let it sever. Uh, and it was only a year. Yeah. Right. So I think that lo- I know that longer term, probably he could have, um, have even severed yeah. that, but yeah, there's who do you call? You know, who who even notices that what's going on isn't right? Mm-hmm. Nobody notices it because you've been isolated from everybody who would call you or him out on it. Yeah, and withdrawn. Mm-hmm. I had one friend. We worked together. Uh, we worked together at Marshalls, and then I followed her to a cable company. And um, she was during it. She would say things like, even when we were all three together, like at a lunch or something, and she was like. He talks mean to you. Why do you let him say things like that? I'm like, oh, no, we're just, we're joking around. We're joking around. She's like, it's not nice. And then after the one of the times I was able to get away and I went back, she said, I just can't. I love you. You can call me anytime. I can't hear about it. And honestly, she was the like only person in my, in my was a five-year span of, in my life that actually, you know, said that of like, Hey, I'm not mm -mm." even just the, Mm -hmm. he's being really mean to you. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) How'd you miss that? Yeah. Why are you taking that? Yeah. 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 So what was it for you? How did you break free? Uh, 
<clears throat> so for one thing, I still had some built-in separation. I mean, I won't pretend that um, everybody, it's, it would be as easy for everybody to leave. I still had my own apartment. We basically lived together, but I really still had a place. I still had classes and I still had a job. And so there was some of those things I had to go to. I had to, right? I, I, he could keep me from all the rest of it, but I would go there. And so th that's, there's a little bit of a break. It's a mental break. It would be a mental break every day. And I don't remember what the actual fight was about, but that I thought I'm done. I, I am done with him belittling. In this particular time, he was making fun of me in front of someone else. And I thought, I don't have to take this anymore. And I said, I'm done. And he said he was coming to where I worked to um, drag me. I'm not really sure what his threat. I remember, though, that I, we locked the I worked at the psychology clinic. So we locked the door, called campus security um, and those kind of things. And he did come up there and he did try. I, he was planning to come drag me out of there and make me not leave I get I don't know not break up with him and I he became so I mean like a maniac really mm -hmm. and I thought I'm not safe I'm really really physically not safe it might have been the first time that I cued in to wait a minute mm. Mm, I could be in real you know this this could be life-threatening danger not just the you know the abuse that it had been um so far because he was not physical, I don't. He wasn't physically abusive the whole time. But again, most abusers are not. It's all slow. So uh, I I remember that I went to my. I got a male professor to escort me to my apartment. I packed a bag because he had a key to my apartment as well. Mm -hmm. Had a, I packed a bag, um, got my dog, and I went to my parents who lived out of town. And I said, and blocked the phone and a physical separation. I am in danger uh, from him and I can't be alone in this town where he lives. And he threatened all kinds of, he's going to come, you know, he threatened a lot of things that he was actually smart enough not to follow through on and the physical separation and the support uh, system is what made the difference. Right. Mm -hmm. So having a place to go, that was truly safe where they wouldn't go, look what you did. You know, they were just mm. glad I was there. Thank you for finally mm. coming to your senses. They hated him. My parents hated him. And to their credit, I knew they hated him. And they still never, you know, until that day, never said he couldn't come to their house, never said I couldn't come to their house. They always mm. continued to make a space, even if they really didn't care for him. Yeah. So that when it blew up, I had a place to go. And I, I don't know, I, we weren't married. We didn't own property together. We didn't have children together. It was easier to make the break. Mm -hmm. And I know it's not the same for everyone. So I won't, won't act like a, every, um, every woman has it so easy, right? right? It, but when I decided, I made the decision and that was it. And the number is blocked and, and we're, we're physically done. We're done seeing and speaking to it. There's not anything else that we need to talk about. Yeah. We don't need to have one more meeting and hash it out. No. Yeah. And so that was what did it. And after a few months, uh, and I did move to a different, a different apartment where we, you know, where he didn't mm -hmm. have a key. Um, after a few months, it, it was okay. It settled down and we continued to live in the same town and mm. he moved on to another target basically. Mm. Mm. 
What do you think? Do you think your research had anything to do with the fact that you, you, you let it be one and done? Yeah. By that point, I'd already spent a year, almost a year, right? Every single week. So sure. By the, by, by May, June, July, I've, I've recognized that it's a problem, but I'm also stuck, mm. right? And I remember thinking, eh, it was April, May. I remember thinking, this is never going to end. He's never going to break up with me. I'm going to be stuck. And when school's over, I'm going to have to get married. And then I'm really stuck, right? I'm going to have to move where he wants to move and I'll be controlled. And because uh, it would, he, just things he would say. And I thought, uh, if I don't end this, no one's going to. Mm. So I knew it, it was coming. Uh, I mean, I think I knew it was coming. I think I knew I would reach a point where I had had it. <clears throat> so I think that, um, yeah, sure. At that yeah. point, I didn't recognize getting into it, but sure. I definitely knew how to get out of it. Wow. Wow. Well, I'm so grateful that you had done that work, that research, and had talked to so many women and had already started to figure, I think this is the thing like you said, that is the difference and the difference maker is if I can, you know, even if it was all subconscious, even if you weren't able to say, well, if I can do it first, I'm good. You know, mm -hmm. like what a, what an act of provision that was provided for you, even amidst a horrible situation. And thank you for sharing your story. That's not an easy story to tell. Um, I know that it takes a lot because, you know, I've been there as well. What, why do you think you're willing to tell this story? What, what hope are you? Um, I think after? that if, uh, if people think that they're the only person that it happened to, if they don't know what to do when they find themselves in this situation, if they don't know that there's hope to, for it to be different, uh, if nobody ever talks about it, then you do think you're alone. You think you're the only one this has happened to. And so if it can help one other person realize uh, I'm in an unhealthy relationship and I don't have to be. Yeah. That's yeah. my. And I will just commend you to that. I, I think there is a, a, a negative and false assumption that um, it's lower income. It's lower educated. If your father was an abuser or stepfather, you know, if there was mm -hmm. a, if there was someone in the home that you experienced this from, um, I love how you're like, is it middle children? Like you were asking all these variables. Does it depend on how mm -hmm. many kids you have? Like you're asking all these questions in this reality that really it's, it's, it just, it just, it's, it's a something that's out there, right? These manipulators, these abusers, and that also, um, that there's not something that we do or don't do, except it's really be ready to leave. Um, and that's also, I want to say too, like just someone who it did take four. Sometimes it takes four, you know, sometimes there are, um, and I would, I mean, that makes it next project for you. <laughs> what is it that makes it take four? What are those factors? Right. Or, right. um, what makes it take seven? And if seven's the average, someone took 14, right. Somewhere, you know, and, um, and I think really the bigger, conversation needs to be about recognizing these tendencies and these behaviors because I think again we're all smart enough to know if he punches you in the face that's not okay mm -hmm. but the ice but if he's isolated you from your support system before he does that who where will you go where will you go when you've when you go well I'm really in danger now I need to go to the ER and I literally don't have access to a to a phone to call for help 
or if I do, you know, he's friends with the cops or I don't, you name your reason, right? If you don't feel that you have the resources, that's what gets people um, feeling stuck because no one's actually stuck, right? But the definitely is the perception that it's never going to be different. And that mental, it's a mental cage that you end up being stuck in um, because of that. So um, again, thank you for being willing to share this story. I think you have such an interesting journey that, you know, again, you were studying these women and then turned around and were like, oh, wait a second. <laughs> yeah. How does this happen? How does yeah. this happen? But, you know, again, also um, kudos for, for breaking free. Uh, and then, like I said, being willing to share for others. Um, if you or you know someone you know are noticing something, there is help out there. There are people who are willing to serve. I always want to plug uh, Freedom for Families, which is a local nonprofit that actually gets women in dangerous situations out of the area. That's their number one only concern is to get you out of the area because abusers tend to move people and then isolate uh, resources away. So... Um, I'll be sure that that uh, website's available. And um, if you have also survived and uh, want to share your story and feedback, um, I'd be would be honored if you would share those as well. But Winnie, what would be your next okay. step for someone so, who's your next step? Uh, the next step for um, somebody who's willing is you need a plan. So what happens with a lot of women when they leave is that they react. Uh, to uh, to a dangerous situation and just head out without thinking um, where they're going to go. Do they have their driver's license? Do they have their birth certificate? Um, do they have their medications, right? Have they made arrangements for pets? And they end up right back there because they don't have a plan. So even if your plan is in your head, I mean, don't write your plan down if, if you're in danger. Um, and even if you can't get people are in different stages of control. So not everybody has access to their driver's license, right? I really understand that some people's phones are locked up if they even have a phone, right? But to the best of your ability, you squirrel away some cash, you get copies, if nothing else, of your important things. And you, where's a place I go that I can take my kids and pets with us? Because I say that, but pets are used to manipulating control a lot with women. Um, well, I'm sorry, not just women, men as well, right? But in this case, that was my research. And so my thing is to have a plan so that when you need to go, you don't have to turn right back around and come back to the house because there's something that you desperately need. Yeah, yeah. And again, I think it's even, you know, like you said, even if it's just, this is my first, you don't have to have your five-year plan figured out. My first step is to get to this new safe place with the things I need. Mm -hmm. to be safe there. Right. Yeah. Not yeah. for, this is not your permanent move. This is, I don't want to have to turn right back around because I don't have my contact lenses, right. Or whatever <laughs> <clears throat> silly thing. So yeah. yeah, you want just your, you know, just think about what, even if you can't go today, even if today's not the right day to go, what will I do mm. when it gets to the point where I know I need to leave that you're not yeah. leaving behind, um, Again, it's a temporary. You'll always be able to eventually get your stuff, but this is those immediate needs that yeah. that force people to turn around and go right back. And then I will just offer this. Um, you got to do what you got to do. And I know for myself, you know, the rationalization was it'll get better. He will change. It will be different. 
And the only thing I can offer now is if that is true, then it will be true. And you can come back when things are already different, not promised to be, not foreshadowed to be, not suggested they might be or dreamt that they could be. If they really will be different, they will be different. And you can come back then. And what a story of redemption. But Jesus was actually in the grave for three days before that stone was rolled away. And so you've got to be willing to actually allow that separation for the transformation to occur. Um, And so that would just also be another word of inspiration for those who are clinging and holding on to that. So if people wanted to connect with you, if they resonated, if they had a story they felt like they needed to share with another survivor, um, how can they do so? Um, I'm on Facebook as Whitney Reeves. Um, there's, it's spelled differently. So there's not a lot of them spelled that way. You can message me that way, or I guess they could email she leads comments and you could forward it on to me and connect that way. Sure. I'd be happy to do that. Uh, once again, um, you are invited into the conversation. And so I do welcome you to send your notes, your feedbacks, your comments. And if you just need a safe place to talk and you're like, I do not need this aired, um, be, sh- you know, I'm happy to keep that to be a safe place. If you just need an email to send, uh, and a place to share your thoughts. Um, and again, if you are uh, anywhere near this kind of situation now, um, definitely praying, for a redemption of the Holy Spirit in your life and a willingness to do the really hard thing of getting um, getting to a safe space. Thank you for tuning in. I hope to see you next week. She Leads is produced by me, Thea Curry-Fusen, recorded and edited by Paralyn Podcast Studios. All thoughts and expressions shared by the guests are theirs and not the organizations they're affiliated with. Thanks for tuning in. Check us out next week to continue the conversation on She Leads.